talking about stewardship. And the stewardship, in terms of, and we gave all the definition, that which uh, a person, a steward is accountable, a steward is one that works for someone else, a steward is one that uh, must take good care of what he has to do, and uh, we spoke about the stewardship of the soul, and I used the scripture that Jesus used, uh, what would we gain if we lost our souls? I mean, you know, what could man give in place of his soul? And that's, uh, that was in Matthew 16. There's nothing. So when you think of the most important treasure you have on you, it's not your money, it's not your education, it's not your preparation, it's not uh, whatever you do and do well, that's not it. The most important thing you have is your soul. And it's everlasting. You will certainly die, but you will not die eternally. We no longer, once you're born, you're born and you live forever. And Jesus made that so clear. I don't have to go through those scriptures. But Jesus taught us in, in terms of stewardship that we must uh, care for our souls. It's got to be our main and major concern. Uh, from then on, uh, we took a few weeks to talk about uh, not only the stewardship of the soul, uh, but also uh, stewardship as we see it in terms of giving account uh, to the Lord with our talents. Uh, when I got home last week, I got a little flack, not really flack. It was just a uh, uh, what shall we say, a, a positive criticism on, on what I had shared. Uh, but it only had to do with the fact that some people say, well, it's just that nobody talks about that. We talked about stewardship of talents in terms of us being responsible to our bosses, being responsible first to God, then to our home, and then to the place that we work. And there is a stewardship. Matter of fact, the times that Jesus gave us parables... He spoke more about that stewardship than any other. He spoke more about being faithful to your job, to what you have to do than anything else. So whoever is looking to cop out in terms of not do what they should do, whoever is thinking of just being lax, uh, you know, New York City is a great place to try to get over. But you know, a Christian can't get over. A Christian has to. Uh, what can I say? A Christian has a stewardship, and you have to respond. And you can, that's part of your testimony. You've got to be a good steward. And now what we're talking about today is the stewardship of your treasures. Now everybody would say, uh, that means money, right? Well, let me tell you what that means. Matthew 6, 24. We'll be coming back to Psalm 51. But Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says something so important to us. And this is what he says, and this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, and I love the Sermon on the Mount. And 6, 24 says, you cannot, I love the way Jesus puts it, you cannot, don't tell me you can, Jesus says you can't, and if Jesus says you can't, you can't. So I don't argue with what the Lord says, I really don't. There are times I search it out. There are times I don't understand it. 
There are times it's not clear to me. There are times I don't know where he's coming from. I don't know what the angle is. But I have found out this in both life and ministry, that what he says is truth because he is the truth. And from him flows all truth. Not a truth, the truth. It's quite different. We can pick up a truth here and we can pick up a truth there. But when you say he is the truth, I am the way, the life and the truth. I am the truth, the way and the life. No one cometh unto the Father but by me. Now listen to what it says. It says you cannot serve two masters, God and money, for you will hate one and love the other, or else the other way around. Now, we're talking today about the stewardship of treasures. Jesus says to us that what you have will definitely control you. Would you read right there in that scripture, verse 19? Don't store up treasures here on earth where they can erode away or may be stolen. Store them in heaven where they will never lose their value and are safe from thieves. If your prophets are in heaven, your heart will be there too. Give me the NIV. What does it say? No, just that last part of, uh, yeah, 19. There it is. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You say, Sister Amy, uh, what do you mean don't store up? L let me give you a balance to that because it's important that you know the balance. Our Lord teaches us careful stewardship. And the careful stewardship he teaches us, if you go to the book of Proverbs, it says that somebody that gives away everything they have, it comes a moment that they won't have anything. Uh, so there is a beautiful balance in the scripture. There is a balance as to uh, how we live and what we do with our money and how we use it. Now, the, the master is especially talking about don't store up treasures here on earth where they erode away or may be stolen. I'm thinking of the, uh, the savings and loans in America. Ay, 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 ay. Come on. We've, we've been milked from them more than the war. And uh, I feel sorry for people. Now you say, Sister Amy, what are you saying? We don't put money in the bank. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that at all. But if the money you put in the bank goes with your heart, goes with your spirit, and is sold out to your soul, you are in trouble. You are really in trouble. I mean, you're the poorest of all the people on the face of the earth. Because the scripture says that where your treasures are, there your heart will be. So what, what, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that we've got to reevaluate what our treasures are. What our treasures are. What are we talking about when we talk about treasures? And if they're going to control us, well, then we better know what they are. Now, this is, Jesus said at the end of this scripture, verse 24, it says, you cannot serve two masters. God has often showed us that the place where he lives and abides is in our heart. I'm not going into the technicalities of the heart. I just love the comparison 
because the heart is the organ that runs the whole show. When your heart stops, bye-bye, birdie. It's over. There isn't any place else that you're going to get life from. So when the Lord compares and says, from your heart, I'm understanding now. Because if my heart is the pulse beat of my existence, well then let's turn that spiritually and say, well, wait a minute. There's in me and there is in my being a part that God calls heart. And what is that? What is that? Well, it's that very special place, which is, the scripture calls it, the seat, the seat, S-E-A-T, of all our emotions. Jeremiah says about the heart, and he's so truthful. He says it's deceitful above and beyond anything you own. The heart is deceitful. That's why when you say, I love you with all my heart, watch out. Watch out. Because the heart is deceitful. And you say, well, well, wait a minute. If the heart is deceitful and that's where God wants to live, well, I got problems with that. How how do I, uh, what happens? And that's where God made it so clear to a man called Jeremiah. And I love the prophet Jeremiah because he's a very unique prophet. It's the man that not only said what would happen, but lived through what, would ha- what, what did happen and then was there for the restoration of what did happen. So it, it's a span of time. He's the only prophet in the entire Bible that runs that type of a span. Well, you've got to realize that when God called him, he was nine years old. So you can almost imagine the history of this prophet. And it's very unique. And uh, the, only, the only problem with it is that when you read the book of Jeremiah, it is not in chronological order. Uh, so you'll see things that are so out of order uh, because uh, we have them just as we got them from the scrolls. But as you study the whole book out and you piece it together, here is a man that had a tremendous insight. you know why? Because God dealt with Jeremiah like he dealt with no other prophet. He called him to be a prophet and Jeremiah said, listen, I'm too small. I'm just a kid. I really don't know what you want me to do. And I'm basically, I don't want to do it. I mean, he had a million excuses. And God says, no, I I want you to do it. And then one day he says, all right, God, I'll serve you. Uh, but, uh, But I want you to know this is hard. And he knew it was hard. And from that day on, Jeremiah became a very unique man. A man that uh, he was only a teenager when God showed him where the trouble would come from. There's a, there's a pot that's boiling and it flows from the north. And when Jeremiah uh, grew and, and understood the prophecies and went to the heads of the, of the government and said, Look, we're going to have trouble from the north because God showed it to me. Well, the political leader says, "You Now you shut up. Because we've already signed peace treaties with them. And now you're going to come and tell us we're going to have trouble with them? You, you can't do that. You're disrupting the politics of the nation. And, and then they took him and they threw him in a hole. And after three days, the king realized if he died in the hole, he would become the national hero and he'd have more trouble on his hands than before. And so they took him out of the hole and uh, set him free. And then it was Jeremiah's time to get angry. So he went to God and he said, I've had it with you. He says, I do what you tell me to do. I go out there. I put myself on a limb. 
I tell them every message that you've given me to tell them, and I do it right, and I do it the way I should do it, and look what I have. Look what happened to me. I'm, I'm, I'm in a dirty, filthy hole for you know how long, and now I'm out. Well, I'm through. I, I, I'm not working anymore for you. Oh, I love that. I love it. It doesn't sound like you. Have you ever given up to God? Have you ever said, God, it's over? Hey, I, I turned in my chips. I threw in the towel, whatever you want to call it. And then it says uh, that he went home. And the Bible says that the word of God within him became a, brawl, a ball of fire in here. He couldn't contain himself. So the Lord says, that's all right. You keep it in, it'll burn you to pieces. If you let it out, it'll do my will. And Jeremiah realized, I'm getting out there and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say what God told me to say. But there came moments in his life where he would minister truth and he would tell the people what was going to happen and no one would believe him. And it's, it, it's, it's for that reason that Jeremiah has an insight into the dealings of the heart of man. Uh, how, how man can close his heart to God. How man thinks he knows so much more than God. How man thinks he can wheel and deal and how he can work it out. But he can't. Man cannot do it. We can't do it, folks. And, and hey, uh, the history has proven it. I don't have to stand up here and tell you that we can't do it. An empty heart, a, a, a nervous condition, a, a situation of exasperation, a depressions that go down into basements that we never come out of. It's the proof that we can't do it. And that's why God gave Jeremiah two glorious revelations. The first glorious revelation he gave him was the revelation of, of the potter's house. And he said to Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house. And at four o'clock in the morning when the fires and the kills were just uh, uh, maybe turned on uh, and everything was getting ready for the, for the potter to do his work and Jeremiah watched and you know how fascinating, have you ever been to a pottery shop? It's fascinating. I, I've been to one, I've been to several and I remember there was a little old man in the Canary Islands where Joe and I went and he was the last uh, of, of, of the, the, the pottery uh, persons uh, and, and and, and, and he was just, he was already almost 90 years old, so what he was making was just, and we bought two little uh, clay candle things from him. And I looked at this gentleman, and, and there in the rock of his, of his, of his little, it, it's not a home, it was like, like a cave, uh, there he would have his kills, and there he would have everything, the fire burning. And I thought to myself, wow, it's so biblical. And in that, Jeremiah saw something very unique. He saw the potter make a vessel. He saw the potter work on a vessel, work on it well. And then he also saw it break in the, in the potter's hands. And instead of throwing out the vessel, the potter took it. And being the expert he was, and being the person he was, and being the, the, the know of his business, uh, he grabbed the hold and he kept working on it. And when it was through, you couldn't even tell where it was marred. I can almost see Jeremiah looking at it and say, hey, Mr. Potter, you got to sell that one as seconds because I saw what happened. And I can almost see the potter saying, show me where. Show me where. You couldn't tell where it was marred. You couldn't tell where it broke. You couldn't tell why. Because it's in the hands of the master potter. You see, folks, that's the glory of what God can do. 
Uh, we can we can try to change you. Uh, we can give you a couple of ideas. Uh, uh, we can give you a new jargon. Uh, we can throw a Bible and a Bible dictionary into your hand and say, hey, go with it. But that doesn't change anyone. A Bible doesn't change anyone. A church doesn't change anyone. A religion doesn't change anyone. You've got to get into the hands of the master potter. Because, you see, he doesn't work on the outside. He works on the inside. He works where it counts. He gnaws at your spirit. He weaves his way into your heart. And when he gets in there, he starts to move the furniture around. And it's so disturbing, you don't even sleep at night. The little things you did that you didn't think were important. You just claim to yourself it didn't hurt anybody. You just want to make sure you get ahead. You want to make sure you can do it. You connive, you swindle, you wiggle, you work. Hey, come on. We all do it. That's life. But to bring forth a vessel that doesn't even show it was marred, only God. Only God. And I love him. I see people that tell me who they were before. I can't even believe it. I can't even believe it. I, I've met people that tell me that for 20 years, 15 years, they shot dope. They, they walked the streets. And as a prison chaplain, you know my experience. I, I, I've been with these people. I've lived with these people. Yet I meet some people that I say, wow, what happened? Well, no, it's, it's, it's giving your heart to the one that is a master potter. And then he comes down and he takes the heart and he makes it anew. You see, that's the second thing God showed Jeremiah. Because when he showed him the potters, uh, the vessel, the perfect vessel, then the Spirit of God said to Jeremiah, Can I not do the same thing for Israel? And that's where his heart came up. But there was another question. If they're stiff-necked, if they don't want to listen, Jeremiah says, God, how is it going to happen? And then God calls Jeremiah and he says, come here, I'm going to tell you how it's going to happen. I'm going to work on their lives till the heart of stone turns into a heart of flesh. Till that which is so hard that it's impenetrable becomes soft and pulsating and moves at the power of my spirit. And Jeremiah looks to God and says, can do you think you can do it? Can you handle that? Can you handle that? God says, yes. Because you see, God knew that he was sending to earth the perfect potter. His name would be his son, Jesus. And that he would not only work well with clay, but because he was clay himself, He'd know all the touchings of that clay. Folks, God's in charge of changing the heart. Because if the heart doesn't change, nothing else will. You can't serve two masters. The scripture says mammon or God. I'm going to name a few other gods. Yourself, your own ego. Oh, what a God that can be. Ah, who am I? I mean, I am important. You say, Sister Amy, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Psychology has spent the last 20 years teaching us that we're new metal uno. Whee! And haven't we gotten better? Don't we look nicer? Isn't crime down? Aren't our streets safe because we're numero uno? 
Isn't everything happy? Aren't we applauding life? Because we're numero uno. Hey, folks. TV, newspapers, even with the daily news gone. What can I tell you? This is a sad, sick world. Because when you become numero uno, that's just one tremendously inflated ego that's bigger than the Goodyear blimp. Come on. Give us a break. Only God, folks. Only God. You can have, you can only serve. You, can, you can't serve two masters. Let me tell you why. The heart's such a delicate place, it can only take one. It's such a delicate place, it can only take one. It can only take one leader. It can only take one, one heartbeat. It can only take one pulsating force. Now let me share something with you in this. I, I don't want to scare you. I just want to tell you the truth. James 4.4, 4, please. The book of James, that's the New Testament in the back. This 4.4. Uh, 4. All right, now listen to this. And this is, a, this, is a, this is a book of revelation. It's frightening. What's causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Isn't it because there is a whole army of evil desires within you? You want what you don't have, so you kill to get it. You long for what others have, and you can't afford it. So you start a fight to take it away from them. Doesn't it sound like wars? Doesn't it sound like personalities? And yet the reason you don't have what you want is that you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your whole aim, your motivation is all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. Then James's comparisons are kind of raunchy, but very true. You're like an unfaithful wife who loves her husband's enemies. Don't you realize that making friends with God's enemies, the evil pleasures of this world, you make an enemy of God? And I say it again, that if your aim is to enjoy the evil pleasures of the unsaved world, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot also be a friend of God. Well, what do you think? The scripture means when it says that the Holy Spirit whom God has placed within us watches over us with tender jealousies. But he gives us more and more strength to stand against all such evil longings. The scripture says God gives strength to the humble, but he sets himself against the proud and the haughty. So give yourself humbly to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. And when you draw close to God, God will draw close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Let your heart be filled with God alone. Make them pure and true to him. Let there be tears for the wrong you've done. Let there be sorrow and sincere grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Then when you realize your worthlessness before the Lord, he will lift you up and encourage and help you. Praise the Lord. Folks, it's so important for us to realize 
that we cannot be Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. We can't be two people. And that's, the, that's, that's what's giving people ulcers today. That's what's putting the blood pressure somewhere sky high. That's what's knocking out the health uh, of many people. There are illnesses that come from anxiety, that come from tension, that come from sin. There are illnesses that do that. Can you imagine? There are, there are better said, there are tensions and situations of the heart that do that. So Jesus taught us that where what we love will definitely control us. If we love the world and everything it has, that will control us. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart also be. Would you look with me at this moment of a instruction of God to the book of, uh, to the Jewish people, Deuteronomy uh, 10, please. Deuteronomy 10 says something to us that is so important that we know. Deuteronomy 10. Listen to what it says. It talks about the heart, and that's what I'm interested in this day. We're talking about the stewardship, the stewardship of our treasure. The greatest treasure you have is your heart. And listen to what God says. And now, Israel, I'm sorry, uh, Deuteronomy 10, 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you except to listen carefully to all he says to you and to obey for your own good the commandments I'm giving you today, to love him to worship him with all of your hearts and souls. Folks, why does God want the heart? Because it's the seat of worship. It's from the heart that you worship. What is worship? You know, we've, we've, we've let the hymn books worship for us. We've let, we've let, uh, uh, we've let the Bible worship for us. Uh, uh, we've let catechisms work, worship for us. We've let devotional books worship for us. Uh, they're all teaching instruments. They're all powerful. They're all beautiful. But you know where you've got to worship from here. Your heart has got to be lit like an altar. It's not the altars in the churches. It's the altar of your heart. Light it. How do you light it? With the truth of God's word. What do you do with a lit altar? You praise and worship God. Oh, I love that. And listen to what he says. He says, uh, earth. And highest heavens belong to your Lord. And yet he rejoiced in your fathers and loved them so much that he chose you, their children, to be above every other nation as it's evident today. Therefore cleanse your sinful hearts and stop your stubbornness. And I bring these two things out to you and then we'll close with Psalm 51. There, this is the quality in Deuteronomy, it tells us that worship is a, an act of the heart. You say, I don't worship. I don't know how to worship, lady, so don't talk to me about where. Yes, you do. Anybody sitting in this chapel today that, have, that has ever said, Ay, Dios mío, ayúdame. Anybody sitting here that has ever said, Oh, my God, help me. Anyone that has ever said, Oh, thank you, God. Anyone that has ever shouted because of great joy, because of something you couldn't do, but that you knew that a higher force was involved, and you said, hallelujah. That's worship. You say, oh, no, that's not worship. That's just expressions, and they come out. I'm sorry. That is worship. Any cry to God. 
And that's what I love about God. I can give him anything. And he sifts it. He touches it. He accepts it. Because there are many times that I'm not ready to worship God. There are many times I'm not in the attitude. But so long as my spirit and my heart cry out, he receives it. And so worship can be very coarse at times. Worship can be very crude at times. Worship can be very painful at times. Nevertheless, it's worship. Whenever you do it in dependency to him, that's worship. But then in the 16th verse, he says something else about the heart. And what did he say? That the heart has the capability of being very stubborn. Stubborn. And folks, you've experienced that. The stubbornness of your heart. I'm going to give you just one incident in the Old Testament that proves the stubbornness of the heart. Because of a judgment of the Lord, Israel was struck with snakes. Snakes that came out of everywhere. And Moses went to God and says, oh God, please. We deserve it. We all deserve to die here with these snakes. But please help us. So God says to, it's God says to Moses, take a rod, a stick, a long pole, and take, and from bronze, just forge a serpent, and put it in the center of the camp, and put it tall enough so that from every angle of all the camps, because the tabernacle was in the middle, and the camps were around the tabernacle. And then the Lord said to Moses, whoever looks to the bronze snake, just an act of faith, I'll heal them. Are you hearing me? Go to the scripture. You'll find out that over 200,000 people died of snake bites. All they had to do was to look. All they had to do was to step out of the camp, out of their tent, rather. They could be dragged out by a relative. They could be held up. All they had to do was come out and look. And some said, if God wants to heal me, let him come and do it. I've heard that. God wants to save me. Well, let him do it. He's already done it. It's just waiting for Checkpoint Charlie on your part. That's all it's waiting for. You've got to come through. You've got to come through. You've got to accept it. Amen. And if you accept it, it clicks in. Oh, folks, we're stubborn. God says this is the way. You say, well, wait a minute. I want to try that way. And you come back beaten, torn, and all this hitchel. Uh, good for nothing. And the God says, I told you this was the way. You say, well, wait, wait a minute. I'm going to try another way. The only thing is watch out. For And I'm not warning you, I'm just telling you what the scripture says. Jesus taught that your love will be 
where your treasure is. And that love will control you. So you've got to understand clearly, openly, basically, humanly that the greatest treasure man can have is God. And God's place is in your heart. We're talking about the stewardship of the heart this day. And if God's in your heart, he'll be the controlling force. And then the decisions that are ours will be able to make it because the pulsating beat of God's spirit will dominate our heart. I want you to see what David says in this psalm. He asked God not to keep looking at his sins. Verse 9, don't keep looking at my sins. Folks, have you ever done something so embarrassing that the years go by and every time your memory takes you there, you get embarrassed? Any, any, any confessions? Any confessions? Thank you. The others are liars. Okay. Isn't it the truth? Isn't it the truth? Hey, we're talking turkey. We're talking turkey. And what does it say? Don't keep looking at my sins. And that's why a Christian has to exercise faith with that. When those moments of remembering the past and its ugliness or its disappointments, you've got to learn to say, it's under the blood. I'm going on. Forget it. And don't lose sleep over it. Erase them from your sight. And then David says, create in me, what? A new, clean heart. Hey, folks, your treasure is held in your heart. You've got to ask God to create in you a new, clean heart. Because where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. That's why he says you can't serve two masters, and we can't. We cannot serve two masters. You can't serve sin and God. You can't serve money and God. You can't serve ego and God. But you know something? That says something so beautiful to me. God is the ultimate lover. He will not share his love with anyone else. He wants you and he wants you all for himself. I like that. I like that a lot. I like that because I don't have keeping power over myself. I don't even have loving power over myself. There are days I love myself, there are days I hate myself. I don't even have strength power over myself. There are days I feel I could take on an army and there are other days that if a mouse comes out, I'll be on top of a table for a week. Yeah, that's the way you feel. Life is like an elevator ride. The only thing is you're not pushing the buttons. Something else is. Some emotion, some lost anxiety, uh, uh, some filthy dream, uh, some concocted idea. Somebody else is pushing the buttons and you're going up and down, up and down. Uh, there's going to come a moment you're going to be so exasperated. And I pray to God that in those moments you don't get a cut off. The Lord says this day, I will give you a clean heart. I will give you a new heart. And when I become the master of your heart, I will then be your treasure and you will serve me and I will never leave thee and I will never forsake thee. You will lack no good for I withhold no good from them that walk uprightly before me. You will walk in a light that you've never known before. You'll walk in a truth that you've never, never understood before but it will start to be a part of your existence. Believe God. Believe him now.
Heavenly Father, we praise you this day and we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you because the heart is the seed of all our seat of all our emotions. It is the place where you have your controlling force. And just as the heart pumps blood to every part of our life, the human heart, oh God, may the spiritual heart also do the same. With your grace within and with your life within us, God, don't let us go on living and thinking we can do it without you and without your power. It cannot be done. Help us to make decisions. Help us to realize we need God in our hearts. Help us to know that we're not going to take another step without him. That he can become our everything. Lord Jesus, there are people that may not be ready for a decision. There are people that may not be ready, may, may have to think this thing out. Oh, Holy Ghost, be with them. Nudge at their hearts. Whisper to their spirits. Warm their inner being. May your presence be so real and so glorious. As eyes are closed and heads are bowed, is there someone here that says, you know, Sister Amy, I need a new heart. Would you kind of ask God to give it to me? I need a new heart. I need a new heart. No, we're not talking about the Wizard of Oz. We're talking about a reality. If your hand goes up, I'll pray for you. That's all I need to know. If your hand goes up, I'll pray for you. And God answers prayer. You may put your hands down. Is there someone else that didn't put it up and wants to now? Go ahead. I'll pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Okay. Let's talk to God. Every heart that went up is a cry. And oh God, the Bible says that there are angels rejoicing right now for every hand that rose. And that for every hand that rose, it was a heart that touched you. I thank you for the mystique, yes. But it's more than that. It's the power of God, the presence of the Holy Ghost. People that want new hearts, people that want clean hearts, people that want to walk with you, people that want a new life. Oh my God, bless them in such a rich way. I especially thank you for our visitors this day, friends that came in for such beautiful occasions as presentation of children, people that came to join us to worship this morning. Be with them, be with their homes, be with their lives. Cover them with your special presence. Oh, Holy Spirit of God, be with us all this day. In Jesus' name. And from 79 to 89 to 90 to 91, I'm still in the same boat. And guess what? My focus is Christ. My focus is Christ. And sometimes during the year, if I get a little extra money, I'll buy the kids a present. Hey, and in July, I say, this is your Christmas present. <laughs> That's it. This is it. Folks, focus on Jesus. It's not gifts. It's not partying. It's not maybe a little bit of everything that we enjoy, but it's him. It's being right with the Lord. It's realizing that God became a man so that we could identify with him. He identified with us. Whatever pain you feel, whatever depression you feel, whatever weakness you have, whichever way you know you can be drawn down and pushed down, uh, 
it could happen to him too. He understood it. That's why in the book of Hebrews it's so great. He is our high priest. Why? Because whatever you went through, he went through. And he understands. I remember I had some young lady says, well, what about sexual sins? The Bible says he was sinless. So do you think he had the sexual drive we have? I says, well, let's explain this. The scripture says in everything. Is sex part of life? Yeah. Sure it is. So was he tempted that way? Scripture says in what? Say it again. Oh, you see, folks, that's why we fall on our faces. When we think that there's a part of our anatomy or a part of our existence or a part of our physical that doesn't fall under God's control, it does. The only thing is you've got to place it there. You say, oh, sister, you've never been in my position. I, I don't doubt that I haven't. I don't doubt that I haven't. But I've got news for you. I've got news for you. There are three great enemies that take part in our life. Three great enemies. One is the world. The people out there that laugh at you for being here this morning. Your friends that laugh at you because you spend so much time in church. The people that say, hey, you're always in church. Hey, what's that? What's, what's with your life? Okay? That's the world. The world that gives you their philosophy. Listen, religion is good, but just a drop. Just a drop. You know, you, you use it like vanilla extract. Don't dump the whole bottle, just the drop, that's it. And some people think, you know, that's the, that's the world's thinking. I remember somebody heard me preach one day and they came over and they say, what happened to you in life? I was 15 years old. What happened to you in life? And I said, well, what do you mean? Were you ever abused? And I thought to myself, what do you mean abused? I, 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 when I was growing up, I didn't even hear these terms. I said, I don't know what you mean. Well, did something happen? I said, I don't follow you. Well, has, has, has there been a catastrophe in your life? Did you lose someone you loved? Were you, were you ever abused? Were you ever hit, hurt? Uh, or did you ever make a terrible mistake? Did you ever kill anybody? I said, oh, I'm 16 years old, 15, 16 years old. What are you getting into? She says, because you see, when people decide to cloister themselves in religion, it's usually because they want to put their past behind them and they want to become holy into something else. Is that what you're doing? I looked at her and I said, no, that's not what I'm doing. I said, nothing's happened to me. I've had a very good family life. Mom and dad have been terrific, poor but terrific. What else is new? You know, some people think, that's the thinking of the world, that if you get close to God, there must be something you're hiding. There must be something that's terrible about your life. There must be, no, 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 listen. Whether you've done bad things or whether you haven't done bad things, there isn't a person on the face of the earth that does not need God. There isn't a person on the face of the earth that does not need the Lord. Young lady said to me, well, if you were Catholic, you'd probably be a nun. Well, probably be a nun. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. In the meantime, I'm just a little street preacher out on the corner of 136th Street and Brook Avenue. But I've got news for you. It's the greatest thing that ever happened in my life. The greatest thing that's ever happened. And from that age till today, I've done only one thing, preach the gospel. And if you stop me on the street and you hold the mic up to me, the reporters yesterday, the day before yesterday, said to me, are you sorry you were ever involved with the PTL? I said, sorry? You've got to be crazy. Of course not. It was a dream that I saw come to fruition 
It was the most beautiful place on the face of the earth. It was a miracle for this day and age. I said, then human error set in. And you know something? When we make mistakes, we can really wreck anything good. So the man, the officers, so you're not sorry. No, I'm not sorry. Not at all. And they looked just, you know, hey, what are you going to do? I said, me? I'm going to do what I love to do most. I'm going home to preach the gospel. Tiny little place. Tiny little place. That's all I want to do. I want to sow seeds of love and kindness. Oh, I get pushed out of shape, folks. Ask Joe. He's the closest one to me. Every now and then he thinks I'm a very nasty lady. But that's okay. We pray. That helps it out. But I thank the Lord for his goodness. Folks, Christmas, the focus is Jesus. Christmas, the focus is his love. Christmas, the focus is his grace. Let's do that. And let's do it with all our hearts.